Welcome to Everybody Has Shit. I'm Kim Reed. This podcast is an open invitation to put your wellness on another level. You no longer have to keep your autoimmune disease or whatever it is that's holding you back a secret. Secrets hurt us. Everybody has shit. So let's all get better together. Let's all try to overcome the challenges we are facing and live our best life. Here we go. The diagnosis of autism can be devastating. It changes the entire dynamic of the family, especially if you have other children. Lisa Fisher, our guest today, talks about her 26-year-old son, Blake, the highs, the lows, and offers so much insight and direction, you don't want to miss this. For the full episode, there's a link in our bio. So it's, first of all, it's so amazing to see you. I used to see you working out many, many years ago in Del Mar when there was only one place to go. That's right. Del Mar workout. Yeah. And, um, you know, you, you, you get attracted to people and you have conversations and we would have, you know, a conversation every now and then. And then, I don't know, I just started learning more and more about you and your life. And um, you have twin boys. Right, exactly. Alec and Austin, who are 29 years old now, identical twin boys. That's amazing. Yes, I got in a twin club. I I don't know how I got in that one because I didn't know I was having twins, so I was four months pregnant. Oh my gosh. So I always thought it was kind of funny. I was in two clubs with my children. Neither one did I sign up for. And so one of them was the twin club, which ended up being wonderful. A lot of work at the beginning. Yes. Uh, What was the other club? Well, the other club is the autism club which is why you've so graciously accepted to come and talk with us about this because it's tough. It's tough. And we've had conversations in the past about this and just, I know that you've been through a lot of pain and could you just start from the very, very beginning? Okay. Well, I will say that, uh, Blake was born, um, and, you know, looking way back, you know, they had to use forceps. You, know, you look at every single thing about what could have gone wrong. Uh, his APGAR scores were high, but, um, you know, everything seemed to be fine. But at right before his third birthday, looking back, certainly starting after his two, his second birthday, I look at pictures, et cetera, and yeah. there were some telltale signs. Um but right before his third birthday, I mean, when I say the crux of exactly when I knew, I was in bed and he came in and had a bottle, which is kind of funny for that, but maybe he's two and a half. Anyway, and he was shaking and he said, mommy, I'm scared. So you can see how he was talking to me at that time and using pronouns. He would not be able to say that sentence today at age 26. So you can see he came in and I knew he was, I thought he was having a seizure And so I said, I will make everything okay. And I remember thinking, oh my God, what's going on? And, you know, there were some other, you know, big moments uh, happening, but that was the one where I thought, I have got to wake up, you know, certain things like we'd go to Legoland and he'd run off and all little kids, if you remember, it's hard to remember when they're little, but they always turn around and look for their mom, but he just kept going. And I thought, when am I going to wake up? My parents were questioning things, and interestingly enough, grandparents are the, um, sometimes the number one person to help with diagnosis. Really? Yes, because they, um, they're removed from the situation, they're coming in, 
and you're so busy with either it's your first child, you really don't know what's supposed to be, or you have other children and you're so busy, which what I was. And my mom and dad didn't know anything about autism, but my mom would say things like, he's not smiling anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, why isn't he um, engaging with me? And, mm-hmm. you know, you're like, just, yeah. you know. D- leave I'm me busy. alone. Leave me alone. Don't plant things in my head. Exactly. So before that, before two and a half, was he speaking yes. and normally and everything, all of the developmental things were right everything. on target? Oh, actually, almost... Um, I would say he was almost a little bit too advanced, which, believe it or not, sometimes is a sign of autism. I just remember a friend of mine in the backseat of the car, and her daughter was the same age, and he was like 18 months old, so this was way before. How come he knows all his ABCs and all this and all that? And I remember thinking, you know, just early learner, whatever. Mm -hmm. But, you know, now he doesn't know his ABCs. So, in other words, um, he was so on target for everything. And, And so coming along... Um, so that's why, uh, you know, I just didn't really see it. I see guess. this, maybe see the subtleness the subtle, of it. Yeah. Because, you know, and then I do know that he was going from sentences down to phrases, down to one word in looking back, you know, that kind of thing. But I was also protecting him. Plus I didn't know what I was thinking about. Yeah. I kept, I remember being at, uh, another little park with somebody and the two kids were engaging with each other. And I remember saying to my friend, I need to call his pediatrician. And I remember I went to call and I thought, well, I don't even know why, I'm, what am I going to say if that doesn't yeah, sound? Yeah, you couldn't, no, you couldn't define it. Yeah, exactly. So I didn't really know when, what was going on. When you are the mother and, and a mother's natural instinct is just to protect their child. And so exactly. when you when you notice certain things off, but you still, as a mother, it, it's, it's, it's nothing. Like it's, you want to continue to try to protect them. When did that for you, when did that wall have to go away? Well, I think it went away right around when I was saying when he was three, he had a grand mal seizure. And so, and from that point Explain on- Explain to people what that is. Okay, so um, it was when he went to convulsions and, you know, head rearing back, uh, screaming, etc. So we got in, um, kind of funny, that there's a number one neurologist at the time, Dr. Doris Troner, who I know well now, and- um, I wanted to get into her, and I called the next day, you know, because we just went to the emergency room and wanted to see her, and it was a one-year waiting list. And, you know, it's funny. I went to my hairdresser that day. I know that sounds weird, but I didn't know what to do. I'd canceled my appointment, and I couldn't stop. I was circling around, and I thought, I'm going to go down there and just do something. And so I went there, and she said, if it were me, I'd go to that doctor's office, and I'd sit there, and I wouldn't leave. And that's what I did. I went there, and I sat all day, and I said, I'm not going to leave until she sees me. Can you... Can you help other parents out with this with this particular situation? And like you said, you didn't know what to do, so you went and got your hair done. It's okay. Is that crazy? No, I think back now. It's okay though. I mean, you can't judge yourself. Well, everything he was fine at the moment. Mm -hmm. I had caretaker there. My mom was there, etc. I know that sounds so funny, but I said I have to get out of the house. Maybe it wasn't the the next day. It was like in that first couple of days, something like that. But you, but when you, in hindsight, thank God. Yeah. Because it took you to her who said what she said, and you did what you did. Right. So I went and saw her, and, um, you know, she started him on a round of steroid treatment, which they do sometimes for autism. And they also were suspect not to go off, but of this Lando-Kleffner syndrome, which is more of a seizure syndrome. And they did put him on steroids for six months where he blew up like a big balloon, and he started making really good advances. 
And then when we took it, we, you can't stay on it because you'll die from yeah. the steroids. They had to take him off, and he regressed again. So in other words, he does have a 40% of children with autism also have seizures. So he had a complicated epilepsy, Landau Kleffner over autism oh diagnosis. So Double the point whammy. is that if he had just been autistic without seizures, he was pretty high functioning with the language, et cetera. He would have probably kept progressing and been, I'm sure he wouldn't have been normal, but he certainly would have been as severe as he is right now. So the, not seizures, to get too confusing. the seizures prevent development? Yes. Right. It, it, you know, it, it, it just, you know, causes brain damage and uh, caused him not to, the doctor finally said, you know, years later, well, obviously he's had seizures that we don't see all this time because he was considered somewhat higher functioning at age yeah, three, yeah. being able to talk like he was. Right. And now he has uh, some words, but basically not very much. He's considered nonverbal at this point. So when he had that seizure, it was at that time that he was diagnosed with autism? Yes, yes. Uh, true. She said, I feel I'm looking at an autistic uh, child. Yes, she was. But, you know, they always leave it a little bit open because children can kind of come around a little bit. And I always am very careful with parents because I do work now with parents um, more uh, that are a little bit older. But my two partners and what I what I'm with the Exceptional Family Resource Center, they work with younger with family with younger children. But I'm always very careful to say, you know, let's give the child some time. I mean, there are children that are just severely delayed. Yeah. It's happened. Right. So, you know, you don't want, you know, you want everyone to give everybody as much chance as they can. What a devastating blow though for the family. So your twins were three, no, six. No, they were three and a half when he was born. Yeah. So they were around six. You're when, right. You're right, right, right. Things, mm -hmm. I mean, that's a, that's, you've got twin boys and then all of your attention. And that is so hard on a family. And I will tell you that all the moms will say their thing they look back on, you know, is that all the attention, all the air in the room, everybody is focused on the child who has the disability. And you feel like with your other children, you're normal, you're athletic, you're doing well in school. So, you know, you're fine. And so we had definitely kind of got into the trap of not giving our other two enough attention, and it did backfire at us on one point. And so, especially one of the twins had a harder time with it. Right. And kind of just, you know, just broke down about it. So we did go see a child psychologist, which was great. And, you know, boy, that was a wake-up call. You know, just about, um, you know, your son, you need to do something with your, with, with Blake. Our son's name is Blake. And so this was about when the boys were, so like uh, was 10, they were about 13. So all those years are going by. Mm -hmm. And so at about 13, not to be jumping ahead, but um, he went in a crisis placement into a facility in um, uh, Costa Mesa. Okay. So, so that's really jumping ahead. But how, how did your day-to-day operation change because obviously you had twins and that's a completely different type of circus and then now you bring in an autistic child how did that change your day-to-day -day process well I felt like I was running a little business because I had therapists for 40 hours a week at my home I had speech therapists sometimes I would take them to that occupational therapy then there's something called ABA applied behavioral analysis therapy pivotal response training floor time so in other words, in those days when he was three, the 
the, um, the state funds um, therapy of 40 hours a week at the time. Now it's pushed onto the um, insurance companies. Okay. So because there are so many children with autism, right, right breaking the, the government. Um, so at, my doorbell would ring every two hours. And there would be, you have no privacy. Your home is filled with people all the time. Just all around. Then you're, and then something that happens with autism is that they have sleeping problems. Never had sleeping problems when he was younger. And then he um, started having sleeping problems, so he wasn't sleeping at night. What so, would happen? So the whole he family would be up. Mm. So he, to quiet him down, my husband would drive him around in the middle of the night. Oh, my god! <laughs> Sounds crazy. Then he had a law firm. He'd go, have to get up in the morning, go to work, come home. And this is something that I hear all the time. Parents talk about sleep-deprived. You know, when they have a baby, people yeah. talk about sleep-deprived. And I always think, yeah, try 12 years or, you know, whatever it was. I mean, 10 years. Uh-huh. So these parents are exhausted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's because are you, do you think parents today are more equipped with how to deal with it? I mean, it's not that he's that old. He's 26. But yes. it just seems like our attention for anything, for ADHD, for dyslexia, it just seems like there's more of a conversation about it. Than there was no, when I when Blake was diagnosed, it was certainly the dark ages for sure. And doctors weren't even sharing that much information with each other. And I was told that by some, you know, the few people in town that knew anything about autism. I mean, all I had ever done was seen Rain Man. I didn't know anything about autism. Right. I mean, and that's what everybody would say. Right. They would think of, you know, oh, take him to Las Vegas and he can count cards. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that <laughs> kind of thing. Savant. Right. right, right. That's a very small percentage of right. uh, individuals with autism. Ha, are a savants, but there was, there were, you know, I'm, I'm talking about all the therapies that went on because there really were a few children in San Diego that had, uh, you know, autism at the time. So now, yes, autism is a word that you hear all the time. Look at all the good doctor, uh, this is yeah. us, all these programs. I mean, it's kind of good and bad. I'm happy that autism is out there. That is certainly very high-functioning autism, you know, and there's all levels of autism. I mean, my son is nowhere near the level of any of those uh, portrayed in the shows. And I'm glad, but, you know, sometimes it kind of glamorizes it, etc. And it's very hard for families. And... I find, well, the parents that come to us, of course, are with the more severe children. So, you know, they're the ones um, struggling. Does it, does it make it hard to watch that, those kind of programs? I don't really watch them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're saying that your son, Blake, is more severe. Can you just describe what his personality is like or what the challenges are and then why you decided to put him in a home? Well, um, autism, I think, when you talk to doctors, et cetera, it's kind of mild, moderate, severe, and profound. And he would be uh, severe. So kind of number three out of four, Okay, I would say. Um, certainly, you know, he's matured. He's very crafty and clever. He's very handsome. No, you would never know he's disabled by looking at him. He smiles all the time, which is one of his attributes. He's 6'3". He's a big guy. Um, and... What's he like? I mean, he's very simple. He wants to go for car rides. I mean, very toddlerish in that way. How does he tell you that? How does he express? He that? does have a few words. Words. Okay. He'll okay. say, "Turn on the keys." I mean, okay. he has these little phrases they okay. learned long ago, and he sticks to kind of odd phrases. Okay, you know, "Daddy's car," "Turn on the keys," uh, "Go," uh, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, he does say things like that. Quesadilla. Um, you know, he loves go to restaurants. We take him to restaurants, um, and people, for the most part. 
are really wonderful. I mean, I think part of what I said was a, a lot of autistic kids I find are kind of grumpy and, you know, they're, you know, they kind of have a little bit of a growl sometimes, it seems like, sometimes. And Blake's pretty much smiling most of the time. So that is something that's, that's really a good part of his personality. Right. So, but, you know, he's jumping up and down. He's 6'3", jumping up and down in a restaurant. You know, yeah. I mean, it's a right. little overwhelming. Yeah. Funny stories, you know, we go to, uh, let's say we're at Costco, and I call it the lift, which is pretty funny. I mean, to honestly, he is pretty funny in a lot of ways. You have to laugh, right? So, um, you know, people will be going by with their carts, and he loves sodas. So the person's away from their cart, and I have to keep an eye. But, you know, he'll, he'll hang around us. We don't just hang yeah. on to yeah. him. I mean, he's kind of... You know, like this, following along, loves my husband, follows and follows him along. And so I'll turn around like, <gasps> and there, and I see here he is with the soda. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. I call it the lift. And then I look around and there's somebody going, oh, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, you count little $5 bills I give yeah. out, you know, please Aww. get another soda. But he does do a little bit of that. I mean, he's pretty good. Even like with the samples, he won't take a sample unless I... I say, okay, let's yes. try a sample, yes. that kind of thing. So he's not aggressive, but if no one's around, yep. well, that looks pretty good. Right. Do yeah. you think that because of the more awareness now, education-wise, people are more open to it publicly or, or, or seeing someone show those traits, and now that people are more aware of autism, they have a more of a, an open-minded approach to it? As to before, like when you say, weren't, there weren't even that many kids with autism in San Diego. When they would see something like that, people would be turned off or have negative energy towards it. Yes, I definitely do. Because I'll, I'll say to people, you know, oh, he's autistic. And people say, oh, I know. You know, because the truth is, um, I don't know, but if you know the statistics, well, I'll give you a few. Um, autism now is, of course, the umbrella is enormous. Right. Unlike, you know, in the old, old, old days, the only people diagnosed with autism were pretty much nonverbal. But now, even though, you know, the higher function, it's one in 44 children are now diagnosed with autism. And four times as many boys as girls have autism. Um, I mean, obviously, it's a really big umbrella, but a good percentage of those are nonverbal. So uh, autism's gone really, you know, obviously, it's, it's, it's exploded. And, um, but even at, say, Costco, you know, I'll go there and, and the workers will say, he's autistic. I say, yes, they said, oh, they come in here in droves. And I think, wow, well, it's a good place, yes, you know, it's noisy, it's open, it's open mm -hmm. you know, you don't need to worry about anybody getting upset, that kind of thing. But I do, I do run in, people are a lot uh, friendlier. I mean, you always run into, we've, you know, had some unusual situations, you know, where people don't know what to say. And you, and one thing I've learned, and I try to really help parents with, is that I tell them that you need to be the one to help the individual out yeah like the first thing I do if my son's kind of near them and he's got a little personal space issue especially if it's a cute girl especially mm -hmm. has like a tank top on right like he loves touching like oh it's so soft he's not going to do you know right but I have to really watch it and <gasps> I get this and then I'll say oh well you're so cute he loves cute girls and you know immediately you disarm Icebreaker, them yeah. yeah you know but you have to help out or right. that's what I've had yeah. you've got to help him out yeah. because nobody knows what to do but I find people 99% of the time to be really kind. What was it that made you decide to put him in a home? Well, it was mostly our other children, really. You know, that um, when I went and saw this psychologist, she, he said that um, you're kind of losing one of the boys here. And the no sleeping for years, you know, was wearing on everyone. Yeah. And also he did get aggressive. 
and it's with the boys. No, more with um with me, uh, quite a bit at that age, and it's really common, especially puberty okay. can be that way. Um, he wasn't when he was younger, but um, but he was getting big. He was getting big, and it was getting harder for me to handle. So was there was there ever a time that you were fearful? Um. Well, he could certainly hurt you if he wanted to. So I'm not going to hide behind that yeah. because, um, you know, he could at that time for sure. But uh, I pretty much knew how to handle him. But also elopement is a huge thing. And so, you know, he's constantly, luckily we're in a gated community, but, and our neighbors were wonderful. But, you know, he was always at somebody's pool down the street, <laughs> which is really common. I mean, he yeah. could swim great. So yeah. I didn't worry about that part. But, you know, it just got to the point where he was getting bigger and bigger. And um, we felt like we really didn't have another option. And there are many families that say to me, I will never do that. And I respect anybody for what they they need to do. But I think people need to look at the whole picture. And I've often said, you know, you're going to do what you're going to do. And I admire you or, you know, I respect your decision. But I really, really, really mean this is you need to think of the whole family and people don't often. They only think of the one who's disabled. Right, right. Because is it that because they, they see them needing extra care? And so they assume since all the other kids are fine or everyone else in the house is fine, everybody needs to pitch in, not realizing that these are kids too. Exactly. And they have paths and they have friends they want to bring over and they have things they want to do without warning people before you come into the house or before you go out to a store. And like they need to need, live normal lives even though this life is abnormal. Exactly. And when my boys were in elementary school, all the kids there kind of knew, knew him and they were forgiving, et cetera. But then as they, they went to a completely different school starting in middle school and um, down in La Jolla. And so the kids didn't really know. And so, so they, he was still home for a little bit at that point. And basically they didn't have anybody over for that Mm. first year. I mean, that has to be, I don't know if destructive is the right word. Yes, it but is. It because think be. about when you're a kid and you have insecurities and all kinds of things are going on. But but for you and your husband also, mm-hmm. I mean, if you're constantly in a state, it has to be tumultuous. Yes. And it's because every day is a different day. And, and mm-hmm. I, I would just think that the impact of that is so severe. But on the flip side... When the decision, which I'm sure it was a very difficult decision to make, that, okay, it's time that he lives somewhere else so that I can restore, you know, the children that I have. Was there a sense of relief that it it was, and was there guilt attached to that relief? Well, of course, there's always guilt. I mean, you know, whenever anybody meets for autism, they say, you know, you're, and your your life is just one guilty day after the next in oh, a way, you know. That's rough. But yeah, but um, I knew it was the right decision for our whole family. I really did know that. Um, and he was going to a home that was a pretty nice home, and I'd met the the person who was running it. There was a lot of attention. Um, it was it was a higher level home, so the employees were paid more at that, uh, you know, for this yeah. particular situation because of the kind of need, the immediate need type thing. So yes, um, I was definitely guilty. I mean, you know, I was very guilty about the whole thing, but I, then I really focused on my other children and we saw him. And when we did see him, 
Uh, we were 100% there, right? Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's the way I feel now. I mean, he's lived in the same place now for eight years. And um, sometimes, like last week, we saw him three times. You know, yeah. we'll go pick him up for dinner. Uh, we'll take him shopping. Uh, he always spends all day Sunday with us. Um, you know, and he's excited to come home and we're excited to take him places. We're not exhausted in his group home. Like a couple weeks ago, they took him to Disneyland. I mean, he had a great day. You know, they have a lot of, uh, they have staff, there's staffing problems now, like any place because, you know, that's been a crisis with, um, group homes also. But, you know, there is, um, you know, there, there is a life. And I know it's really hard. The regional center, which Blake is a client of the regional center, which is the, um, they're the ones who give out all the services, not the school district, not to be confused with. So school district is one piece, and the regional center is another piece that is the one that okays the speech therapy, the occupational therapy, you know, any of the services you get. They're all purchased through the regional center and the vendor to vendored um, companies. And um, so the so the regional center has been, you know, really instrumental in, you know, they've been helpful uh about doing all that. I can't, I've lost my train That's of thought how, now. how often do you find yourself educating or guiding people to show them that the life of the child with autism still needs to be productive? Like they can still, like you said, putting your son in a home didn't, didn't hurt his life. It probably made his life better. Because he has people around the clock that can help him and help take care of him. And when you run into a person who says, well, I would never do that. Well, think about what the child needs as much as you're thinking about what you need and, and how you're not going to give up on somebody, but you're not giving them the quality of care that they could have and have a better life. Do you find yourself breaking that down to people? Well, what I was actually thinking was that I know that the regional center said some of their hardest things that they have to deal with is um, – Child, uh, adults, of course, in the old days, we were talking about how there was hardly any autism. Mm-hmm. And so there were, really weren't that many great places to go. Um, but right now, like children who are, are not children, adults who are turning 50, 55, their parents are passing away and they've always lived at home. So it's kind of a hard oh, transition. Yeah. Can you imagine at yeah. this age? Yeah. And right now there's kind of a, a thing going on and they're saying we're having to place all these adults who have never lived anywhere but with you know mom and dad kind of thing so you know it's kind of a bigger transition when you're that age right so yes um i do tell people you know that um it can be you know uh, and the thing is you can see them as much as you want to and i try to emphasize that also sleeping you know (laughs) sleeping's a big deal and and for years blake has slept okay but recently he's just 18 months ago started having seizures again which is devastating and I never thought that would happen but you never know what tomorrow brings and so he stops he's had a harder time sleeping and they have a wake overnight staff so you know he's cared for well without there's somebody the there of, of the you rep, right. and your health and everybody being family. up all night long yeah right so can we just break down some of the numbers and just kind of dissect autism just a little bit so one in 44 you say in the U.S. Has that number grown? Is it an epidemic or is that a misconception? No, I, I personally think it's an epidemic. And what, what do you think? Because it's very hereditary, right? Yes. It used, it's funny because when Blake was diagnosed, they said it, it wasn't. Isn't that funny? And that's how much things have changed. I, it definitely runs in families, yes. And um, for instance, uh, one of the, my coworkers has five children and four have autism and one has cerebral palsy. Oh, wow. And when she had, she was having like her third baby. She said, 
Well, you know, I, oh. I mean, it, should I worry about this? No, right? So even mm. by the time she had them really quickly. Uh, anyway, so, uh, I mean, some are very high-functioning, but still, they're on the spectrum. Well, the vaccines, and I want to say that, has been disproven. So I am not a believer that vaccines caused autism, which, you know, some people believe that. How hard was that to go through? What, the vaccine? or When Jenny McCarthy just, just brought the, that to the forefront based on... Andrew Wakefield's, yes, yes who paper. was who was uh, disbarred from the medical right. community after that. You know, and that's, you know, jumping on this Hollywood bandwagon. No, I, I mean, and some, you know, some of these diseases that were eradicated are now coming back because parents aren't uh, vaccinating their children. No, autism has not changed at all. As, as, as a matter of fact, you know, people aren't vac- vaccinating and autism has done nothing but to increase. So, so what, what do you, when you say that you believe it's an epidemic, is it, is it because now people are being diagnosed maybe and they weren't before? Well, that's a good percentage of it because, you know, long ago you'd think, oh, that's just a really weird kid in the class, right? Yeah. That just obviously- like with, with, AD, with ADHD also. I mean, True. all of these disabilities that didn't have a name. I mean, as, as a black person, grew up around all black people, Everybody had, not everybody, but a, a large majority of people who I knew growing up had somebody who they just hung out in the back room. You didn't go in there. You didn't bother them. And when they came out, you just kind of let them come out and do that thing. And then they go back in the room. It wasn't diagnosed as anything. It was just a, that's something wasn't right. Leave, right. Leave that person alone. And that's, and that's what you did. They went to the store. They walked. They walked. They went to the park. They went to birthday parties and family functions. There was just no diagnosis because black people don't really go to the doctor like that. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, initially when Blake was three, they said, oh, it's just larger diagnosis. But then as time have gone on, doctors have said to me, it's more than that. You know, there's just too many people mm-hmm. that are getting the autism diagnosis. So I think it's kind of both. But certainly the umbrella is way bigger right. than it used to be. So that accounts for quite a bit of it, but not singularly. Um, I mean, I don't know what's going on with environment or, you know, I mean, they they have different areas of parts of, say, the United States that have a higher rate of autism and, you know, there are power plants nearby. I don't know. I'm not saying that, but they have correlated some things like that. I mean, it certainly runs in families. It's older parents uh, have more uh, children with autism. That has now been linked. Older meaning older. over 40 or... Mm. Yeah, they just say older. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I know that they used to say just older fathers, but now they say older mothers or fathers. Um, but I don't know. Uh, autoimmune is so big now. And so they uh, often talk about it in connection with the autoimmune. Um, I don't know the answer. I have no answers for, you know, how it is. We just know that it's runs in families and they have studies that is, you know, in different parts. So my cousin's daughter, back in February, did a post on Facebook saying that she was autistic. And I was shocked because I've been around her. She's 23. And I talked to her yesterday, and she said she has twice exceptional. She's twice, it's called twice exceptional autism, Mm. where she's very good at speaking and writing, but suffers in some, like, textures and sounds and so many things make sense to her, but obviously she functions. So there, it seems to be, it's being more defined. 
It sounds like she's more on the Asperger's side, which now they've kind of taken that word away. That's what she said to me. She said, I asked her about that. She says, they don't really call it Asperger's I know. anymore. Why they is don't. that? You know, I think there was some um, uh, negative vibe with the Asperger doctor that had initially, you know, kind of come up with his little portion of what he felt the, um, you know, it's, it's, it's people that have kind of a high intellect or at least in some areas, maybe not exactly the savant, but they have social skill problems. Yeah. Maybe they have regulatory problems with their voices of sounding robotic or um, too loud, that kind of thing. But they have no verbal, uh, you know, delay mm -hmm. as like language, which is typical for autism is language delay. I mean, that's kind of like the number one thing. But Asperger's, which I'm just saying that yes. because I know we call it yes. aut high-functioning autism now. But I, th I always thought it was a little bit easier to figure out who was who. But right. yeah, now they're taking away this Asperger and they're just telling everyone to say autism that they have autism. So I don't know. I wonder how she feels about it. I mean, she is very, she loved talking about it. She loved the question. She loved explaining because it's a new diagnosis. They had misdiagnosed her as bipolar and put her on lithium years ago. Mm -hmm. So um, this is all new territory for her and she's just trying to navigate it. And she finds that most of her friends are high functioning autistics. So um, I'm just learning about it. Literally had a, an hour long conversation with her yesterday, but it's just very interesting because John was saying that he's experienced where they test in utero. Yeah. So there is, um, when my girlfriend was pregnant, the doctor came to us and said that there may be a problem uh, with the pregnancy. And so they have a test to test the, the fetus for a wide range of things. And in this wide range of test of things, they can identify certain um, highlights that could uh, give you a heads up on what could be wrong with the baby while it's inside. And so I never, I never heard of nothing like that. And so obviously you go along with it because a doctor tells you something, you want to identify any problem that your kid's going to have. And so we went along with it. Luckily there was no issue, but nevertheless, the fact that, I, that they even had that was like shocking to me. Right. But autism isn't one of the things. Okay. Right. So you cannot um, test for autism in utero. Oh, right. so there's no indication. There's no nothing. Did you have mm. it in your family on no, either side? Neither. Mm -mm. How is your family now? Oh, great. How are yeah. your boys? How are your twins? Boys are fine. And uh, we're all conservators of Blake. So when I, my husband and I went for conservator because, I mean, he's significant enough, obviously, that he needs to have a conservator for his whole life to make his decisions. Okay. I think there's seven levels of conservator. We got the highest. Britney Spears changed that whole word. <laughs> that's funny you say it. that. We have a funny, yeah, there's some doctors within autism who think that's it's so hard to get conservatorship <laughs> for someone. And how did her father get that? Yeah. Right. I've actually had heard people say that uh, as a joke. Um but anyway, so all four of us are. So one day, you know, when we're not here, they're, they're in charge, right? That's a lot to leave. It is a lot to leave. I know. But and obviously you're taking care of where he needs to be and what needs to be done. What's the life expectancy? Is that change? Well, it is. there is no shortness of life ex expectancy. However, because there are so many variables with autism and, you know, like uh, possibly not eating correctly and... I don't know, um, you know, seizures and other outlying feet things that aren't autism. Most autistic people don't live as long as 
you will live. But there is no shortness of lifespan because of autism. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So it's like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then early on, do you think early detection makes a difference in the outcome? Well, yes. And that's why. Um, so before age three, uh, there's uh, early find, which the San Diego Regional Center will fund a child under three if they're, if they're to be considered at risk. Okay. And they will put them in therapy. And then at three, it's your school district that takes over. And then I'm just, you know, I'm saying this for parents who if anyone's listening and needs help. You go to your school district. And your school district then is in charge of, of uh, coordinating therapies like speech therapy, occupational therapy. Th- those will be offered to you. Um, and um, so early detection, my son had seizures. So that was the difference. Okay. So the reason that the state, I think, oh, well, I mean, the reason the state puts so much funding into early is because the outcome, you know, it's just mathematical, right? They want to put all the money in early to hope for a better outcome. So, you know, it doesn't cost them. The burden is, I mean, obviously they're doing it because it's the good thing for the child also, but I'm just saying fine fiscally, you know, they're thinking let's put the money in now. And that's why they're out really trying to find. um, And there's some, Different parts of the population are very resistant to anybody coming in. I mean, for instance, my two partners, you know, they try to do a little bit with the, uh, the tribal, you know, uh, American Indian population. Mm-hmm. You know, they're very suspicious, mm-hmm. et cetera. But, you know, it's, they're trying to give them earlier services so that there's a better outcome, better for the child and better for everybody. Right. But there are uh, different, you know, types of people that just don't want the help. Don't trust. And no trust. So it does change the outcome. It's proven. Depending. Yes, it is proven. That, that but not everybody. It lessens right. the track that they I are. mean, I've seen, uh, when Blake was little, there was a kid that was so much more severe than he was. And I remember thinking, wow, he was like a year older. And Blake could talk everything. And I thought, wow. I mean, that kid now, he's working at the post office. I wow. mean, when you, if you talk to him, you know, yeah. he sounds like a robot, he et cetera. But obviously, he's there by himself. My son is, can't, you know, be by himself. So you never really know, but I will say that the seizures are what caused my son not to progress to in the regress. way. I mean, I was pretty much told that, you know, they can never guarantee, but that he was going to do pretty well based on his, his, um, you know, where he was at age three. Has it always, has it been easy for you to talk about Blake? Do, I do like, what about your friends and your support, like in your immediate world? I mean, was it easy to share what you were going through? Well, I think you immediately make friends who have children with autism and you have your little group. And, you know, for the most part, you know, I'd say a little bit here and there, but I kind of live two lives. I mean, I would think to myself, if somebody knew what I was doing five minutes ago, they wouldn't believe it, you know? And so I would then change into my mode with my other two boys and have this normal life and then back to this other life. So, and it was very common for a lot of people that I knew with children with autism. So, you know, people are very kind. How's he doing? Oh, it's fine. You know, you really don't want to go into it. You really don't. For people in relationships, what how hard was it on your marriage? 95%, I think that is still the, of parents of a a severe autistic child get divorced. Hmm. But for us, it brought us closer together. I mean, we kind of really bonded and we're a team on it. And he did this, and I did this, and, and we kind of had a common goal. So, but most parents, you know, do get divorced. 
I mean, which is common with any, you know, other um, diseases. I right. mean, they say that's common also. So, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, they just don't agree on the way that you're doing the therapies or they just can't handle it. Right. Mm. So they're out. Yeah. But I, you know, I was a little reluctant to ask you to be a part of this, but I can just remember conversations that we had and it's really emotional though to hear your story and know you know what what you've had to deal with because it's hard. I mean your life wasn't really your life. And if, but for you to be so honest and open and frank about everything, I just think is such a benefit for people to hear that yeah, this is tough and we've made tough decisions, but we stand by them. And and also for people to not judge. That's the biggest thing. Right. Is that you just don't know what people are going through. They may look a certain way, but you know, we're in we all have stuff, right? Right, we all have stuff. And I certainly, you know, does anyone really want to talk about, you know, a disease that is so I mean, now it's more on the forefront, but you know, it's a really um you know, it's a really unusual disease and I mean, I had I had a lot of crazy things at the beginning of doctors telling me not to go on a big sidebar, but I told, I went to a famous endo, uh, endo, um, chronologist. Oh, uh, it's the, no, the, cr- the manipulation of the brain. Uh, I'm, I'm, um, anyway, it'll come to me. I mean, it's more like a, it's a Dio, uh, doctor. Um, and she was famous. She's long passed away. And she told me if you can believe this, and this was when Blake was like three, um, why don't you read this book? And if you had gone to church more and you should oh. be wearing black. So, and at the time you're so guilty That's that you're kind of say. like listening. So, do, yeah. So when, anyway, back to your question. No, I've, I don't really want to talk about it, but I made a, I made a pack a long time ago with myself that if he could have autism, the least I could do is talk about it. No, but it, I, it's hard though, because it's really, it's a lot of work to keep things in. I think my experience of keeping things in, and this is primarily why John and I are doing this, is so that people can trust people and not keep things in because it's cathartic and it's a release, you know, to protect yourself so much that you don't allow a conversation. You mean, you've always been honest with me and open, um, but it's a lot of work to keep things hidden from people. And I just think there's so much benefit in having a conversation and trusting that conversation because you just don't know what's going to develop from it. You're right. You're right. Um, I guess I've always been more of an open person, you know, just before all this happened. And that kind of helped me in a way. But I, but, but like you said, there were times where I didn't talk to anybody, but I had my little group. So that was cathartic for sure. And I kind of made that deal with myself. And I did think of my other children and I wanted their lives to be as normal as possible and maybe not dump all that on their friends, parents, that kind of thing. Does that make sense? But now it is nice. But the world's changed a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, the thing is, I mean, I had a lawyer tell me the very beginning of this that represented us with school district. I mean, in those days you hired lawyers to get all, you know, as much as you could. And he said, you know, let's put down this other thing instead of autism because you don't want his teachers to treat him differently. And, you know, I think back about that now. And it's yeah. so different now. It so. is. I mean, and, and that's the that's good news. It's great news because we were raised. I mean, I was raised to not talk. And maybe that was the generation that was. But it's just, to me, it's not that we have to blab to everybody all the time. That's not it. 
but it's okay to expose yourself a little bit. That's okay. If, if you had to give somebody a piece of advice that woke up on the morning that you woke up and you knew something was wrong, what would you say to them? Well, I think I would say to try, um, er, right away, everybody tries to fix it all really fast. And it's probably not going to, ha- and nothing's going to happen really fast. And so to take that breath, I mean, not to go into a yoga moment, you know, actually, I got into yoga years later and I wish I had done it then. Because, you know, and I know you've done a lot of like breathing and self, just to kind of take that balance in life and say, okay, I'm going to hit this head on and I'm going to do the best. I'm going to do a great job. But I also am going to think about my whole person, my family's whole person, and I'm going to be in balance. Um, I mean, at the beginning, you're obviously in, you know, crisis mode and you're just going crazy. Uh, But to reach out. And now there's, I, I couldn't even find a support group and I'm not kidding. When, when he was diagnosed, there was no one. I mean, there was like, I found, found two people to answer a phone, you know. <laughs> but now there's, um, you know, there's Autism Society. There's Exceptional Family Resource Center, which is funded by San Diego State Foundation, the organization okay. that I'm involved with that uh, does the whole life of a child. Um, the Autism Speaks, which is out in New York, uh, which was not around uh, when I was there, they're, you know, the guy that started is his grandson. You know, I think he was the president of CBS. I can't remember some, you know, and so he really got the ball rolling and they have an amazing website and theirs are all, you know, real basic facts and scientifically proven, not any hocus pocus out there. So they're, I guess, research, read everything, find a doctor you trust. And, you know, pretty quickly, I knew more than my pediatrician, you know, so trust yeah. yourself too and do all your your research. Um, I wish I knew what else to say, but you know, it's definitely a journey. Um, and that, well, that was my experience, but some of the kids, when I tell you that they have really remarkably have very enriched lives, they have jobs and you know, like your niece, who's sounds like Asperger's super high functioning. Um, you know, there's a huge life and there's a life for my son too. Um, you know, he had a great time at Disneyland the other day. I think what you've done is amazing because you get sprung with this, no preparation. So you just wing it. Yep. And so you made a decision, big, tough decision, but it ended up being good for everybody. And I think that's a good story. Well, thanks. So thanks for sharing all of it because I know that it's, I just, I can remember conversations with you and I like left with a big lump in my throat because <sighs> it was just, it's just, you just don't know. So thank you for sharing with us. It's um, thank you. It's well, thank you, John. Really, really good information. And always, Kim. <laughs> Thanks, Lisa.